from the book of Deuteronomy. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. Glad to see you all here today. Uh, if you've been with us over the summer or watched online like many of you do, you know we've been doing a deep dive on the Old Testament pretty much since May, going from Genesis through Exodus and watching the people of God wrestle with God and Him wrestling with them. If you don't know this, those, the Israelites mean those who, rest, those who wrestle with me. So God names His people those who wrestle with me, which I take comfort in, frankly, because I know many of us wrestle with God from time to time. Anyway, when I was in high school, I played football for a team called the Paoli Bulldogs. Anybody know them? I'd be really surprised if someone, I don't think they're around anymore. I played football for the Paoli Bulldogs. They had a really cool bumper sticker I had in the back of my car. I was cool, what can I tell you? Uh, but truth be told, I, um, I'm not terribly fast and I'm not terribly coordinated, which are two things you need to play football unless you're a lineman. Then all you have to be is strong. And I was, five foot 10, 185 pounds, put him on the line, that's where I played. Defensive line, to be specific, which involves, if you don't know football, essentially this. Smashing into the guy in front of you to try to get to the quarterback and put pressure on him so we have to pass the ball. Or if you fail there, tackling the guy that comes at you. Pretty simple, even I can do that, right? Smash into the guy in front of you or tackle the guy that comes through you. Well, one day we were playing the Upper Chichester Whippets. They were a good team. I was on the defensive line and the back came through right where I was. And so as a defensive lineman, you can actually use your hands. And I grabbed the back of his shoulder pads and I threw him to the ground. And he dropped the ball, which is what you want. He dropped the ball and I grabbed it and I ran like a very slow bat out of hell to the, to, the, to the goal line. And man, I was trucking as fast as I could. I literally made it to the one yard line and all of a sudden somebody flattened me and down I went. But then the next, next, next down, we, got, we reset up on the offensive line, which I also played at the time. And then we, the guy who was the running back, who was fast and was athletically inclined more than I was, he, they pat, the quarterback handed the ball over the top, he went and we scored, woo! But still so close for me and yet no cigar. Well, eventually we won the game. And after the game, I went to the coach and I said, hey coach, I said, man, we were, like, we were all excited about the, the win because the Whippets were a good team. And I said, man, I was so close. I was so close. I, I almost had it. And I'll never forget this. He said, Rodriguez, almost never did anything. <laughs> we didn't all get trophies back in those days. Uh, and he was right. Actually, if you think about it logically, almost never did anything, did it? Or, or did it? We're wrapping up our series today, um, today actually, uh, with this Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24. We're wrapping up our series we've been in since June, and we're going to look at Moses standing on Mount Nebo, looking out over the promised land. I've never seen, I've seen the promised land from the other side, 
from uh, the other side of the valley, but from Mount Nebo, you're actually looking towards the Mediterranean. So you can see all the way across through past Jerusalem to the Mediterranean. Moses is there. He's about to go into the promised land, and he chokes on the one-yard line. God says, Moses, you're not going. Is it true that, mo- that, is it true that almost never did anything Or is it true that sometimes almost is all you need? That's what we're going to look at. Two points. Almost never did anything. And with God, almost is everything. You ready? So I said last week, we've been talking about, we've been saying for the past months, actually, tracking the exploits of the Israelites from that captivity in Egypt, even before that, all the way through their their freedom from slavery. And we find ourselves at the precipice, the the 40 years they've been in the wandering around with Moses leading the flock, and they're finally there. We've learned a couple of things on the way. We learned a lot of things, actually. And by the way, I hope when you read these Old Testament stories, you don't read them as them, you read them as me. You read them as us. Because these people, once you understand the cultural stuff going on, it's basically a story about God's people, period. You or them. We've learned a couple things. Learned a lot of things, but a few particularly. That Moses has been a pretty good leader. He's certainly, he's grown in his trust in the Lord. Moses did the best he could to it, with, the best he could with the people that God gave him, which quite frankly are just like me and you. Stubborn, rebellious, impatient, doubting, lacking faith, lacking trust, and basically whining at every opportunity, right? Welcome to being a pastor. <laughs> I'm just playing. But the cool thing, if you watch it, is that Moses never gave, this is actually to his credit, Moses never gave up on the Israelites. He got frustrated at times. I'll talk about that in a minute. But he never gave up on them, and more importantly, neither did God. And the one thing I hope you take away from this whole story is actually very simple and very profound for you. That letting go of your past, letting go of slavery, to whatever it is, is a lifelong process. Yeah, it's easy to say I put my faith in Jesus, but man, it's awfully hard to put that into practice. It's awfully hard to let our faith become so internal that it transforms us. Literally, being freed from slavery to your past, being freed into going into the life that God lays before you, is a lifelong process because it is about learning to trust God. I said a couple weeks ago, you want to know what the meaning of life is? I'll give you a nickel and I'll tell you what it is. The meaning of life is simple. Become a Christian and learn to trust God. That's it. But now, the proverbial journey is over. God has led his people to the land that he promised he'd give them, the promised land. And standing on Mount Nebo, we see Moses looking out over the vista before him. We see his life's work, his life's goal. He spent his entire life leading his people to this moment. And God says, you're not going. Point one, almost never did anything. See, what you might not know is that Moses knew and had known for a while that he wasn't going in. In Numbers chapter 20, we read about this, you can look at it. In Numbers chapter 20, here's Moses and the Israelites again in the desert, and they're complaining because they got no food and no water, like they did, like people do. It's just human nature. And God says, Moses, here's what you're going to do. And he'd done it before. Moses, you're going to speak to the rock, 
speak to the rock, and water will flow out of that rock, and you will take that water and give it to the people so that they can drink. You're going to speak to the rock, and it will flow out. It's not what he does. Instead, Moses, frustrated, angry, maybe having a bad day, maybe he's tired, maybe he's cranky, Maybe he's stressed out. Who knows why? We don't know why. But instead of speaking to the rock, Moses takes his staff and he hits it. Ever done that before? Nah, of course you have. He strikes the rock instead. Boom, out of anger at who knows what, himself, God, the people, probably all three. Water does flow out of the rock. God keeps his promise. God always does. But then he says to Moses, Moses, because you've struck the rock and didn't speak to it like I told you, and because everybody saw your disobedience, and everybody saw that you really don't trust me, Moses, because of that, you're not going. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, part of me feels kind of sorry for the guy. You? Anybody feel kind of, I mean, to me, it seems like a pretty minor transgression, right? Striking and speaking, aren't we just kind of splitting hairs here, right? Like, I did what you kind of asked me to do, and was that good enough, Lord? Well, hang on a minute. What if God, here's the key to the whole thing I want you to see today. This is super profound, I think. It was for me. What if God kept Moses from the promised land for Moses' own good? What if God prevented Moses from going into the promised land for Moses' own good? I mean, it was his life's ambition, his life's dream, his whole goal. 40 years, a lot of heartache, a lot of hard work. But what if God prevented Moses from going in for Moses' own good? Let me show you something. I'd never noticed this before. In verse 4, the Lord said, Moses, and it's only God and Moses on Mount Nebo. There's no Israelites there. It's just the two of them, God and Moses, which is pretty cool. And in verse 4, it says, This is the land, Moses, I'm showing you, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I promise you this for 500 years. I said I would give this to your offspring. I have let you see it with your own eyes. And then Moses dies right there. Interestingly, we know that Moses was strong and, and still vibrant, but he dies because God, his mission has been completed. And then in verse 6, check it out later if you want. I, th I thought this was really cool. In this interaction, God takes Moses up there and says, Moses, I told you you weren't going in because of what you did. But this is what I, I want you to see it. Your children, your, aunt, your people you've led will go in. And then in verse 6, it said, He, God, buried Moses in the valley of Moab. I think that's just cool. Moses' mission is fulfilled, and it's not like, ah, you, you just, you almost did it, Moses. God is like, Moses, let me show you this, and then Mo God buries him on that mountain. Just God and Moses. No one else is there. And you know, even today, if you go to Mount Nebo, you can go there. I'm not sure I'd go this time. Of the, I'm not sure I'd go now, but, uh, but maybe someday. Uh, if you go to Mount Nebo, there is no tomb of Moses. There is no shrine, because no one knows where he's buried. In Jude, it's an old, a New Testament book, very short, verse 9, Jude says that the archangel Michael fought with Satan to hide the tomb of Moses, to keep it hidden. Well, why would you do that? Well, after all, let's think about this. What if the, what if the Israelites dug up Moses and took him to Canaan after they got there? 
what if, the, what if the Israelites, what if the Israelites dug up his remains, people had done it before, and carried those bones into Canaan, or his body at that point into Canaan, and what if the people of Israel worshiped Moses rather than God? What if Moses had lived? I said to you before, what if God stopped Moses from success for his own sake? Well, what if he'd lived? What if Moses actually went into the promised land? What would they do? They'd make him a king. They wanted to make George Washington king. If you remember, you know your American history. What if Moses had gone in as a living being? Would the people have made him into a king, into a god? It wouldn't be the first time a person with a lot of power, and it goes to their head, right? So play this out. What if? What if Moses lived? What if they took his remains? What if? What if? What if? You know, I've been thinking about this all week. Do yourself a favor and don't play the what if game. We all do it. What ifs, like almost, never happen. What ifs never happened. And the reason is because God didn't allow them. Let me ask you a question. You ever been in a situation where you didn't get what you wanted? You thought what you deserved? You thought this is where your life was going and maybe you got a detour? We all have been there in some way, right? Maybe you had a whole plan. You spent your whole, your, you spent years perfecting your mission, working your game, trying to up the ladder, trying to get to the top of whatever it is, fill in the blank, doesn't matter, only to see it come crashing down. Family, children, money, we've all been there. See, almost never did anything, but what if almost is for your own good? You, you guys might not know this, some of you do. I thought more people did than mentioned it this morning, but you may not know that when I was first ordained to the priest, I had a whole career in IT right before I went into seminary. And I, oh, look at this. Look at that little thing, anyway, sorry. Someone missing a little blob here? I don't know what that is. Anyhow, break my neck on that. Um, when I went, before, I, before I was in the ministry, I was a, uh, an IT director, did a bunch of stuff in tech. And um, when I first was ordained to the priesthood, I became what's known as a bivocational priest, two vocations. I was a full-time IT director and um, worldwide infrastructure guy for a company. And then I also worked part-time as a curate at All Saints Church in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, great part of the world. I had a full-time job, which I loved. I, had a full, I did a part-time gig at the church, which I also loved. And this went on for about three years, and I loved both. I loved being that sort of bridge, right? Until finally, Kathy said to me, you know what, these, these 80, hour a week, 80 hours a week, it, it ain't working anymore. And we had, by this point, Gracie was like two, and uh, it just wasn't working for our family. And I knew it, and she was right, and I said, you know, you're right. She says, she says you gotta make a choice. Corporate job or parish work? Well, it's, and coincidentally, at this very same time, I was also being recruited to go into sales for a new company called VMware. Anybody heard of that? If you're a techie, you know what it is. If I had pursued that sales job, and I knew it because I knew what they did, and we, we were one of the first users of VMware in our data center, man, if I had gone into selling VMware, I would have made a ton of money, and I knew it. So I had a decision to make leave IT and go and work in a corporate, in a church job full-time, or stay in IT and give up what God had called me to do? Well, I left. I went and I went into full-time ministry, and I now know that if I hadn't done that, 
I wouldn't be standing here right now. But think about the what ifs in that. What if I'd continued in my corporate life? I don't know actually what would have happened, but I know for sure I wouldn't be standing here. And with all the money and the travel and the distractions and the prestige, I wonder, I wonder if my family would have been affected. But the point of all that is it's a what if, right? It didn't happen, but it almost did. But God stopped me. He stopped me for my own good. Let me challenge you. When you see these uh, seeming failures in your life, to put aside the what-ifs, put aside the almosts, because they never happened, because God spared you from it. God has saved you from many occasions on your own. We've all got stories, fill in the blanks. He saved you from who knows what in your own life, things you really wanted and didn't get. Not because he doesn't love you, you see, but because he does. He knows what, what he's got a distinct advantage over us, thank God. He knows everything, and he made you, and he knows you better than you know yourself. Moses dies on Mount Nebo, not frustrated and not angry. He dies at peace, even though he didn't get what he wanted because he knew that God was in control. So that's my first point. Almost never did anything or did it. Point number two, with God, almost is enough. See, Moses is almost, his, his almost going into the promised land was not a failure. Because see, what we also hear in the story there is God had used Moses to raise up his successor, a guy named Joshua. Ya, um, Yeshua is the name in Hebrew. It's the same name for Jesus, right? Joshua and Jesus in Hebrew are the same name. And Joshua's job was to take the ball across the finish line, to take the, take the ball across the goal line into the promised land. And Moses could see this kid he'd raised up. He rejoiced in him. He ministered to him. He mentored him. He raised him up. And Moses could see, okay, I'm not going in, but I know who is, and I can rest in that. You know, I wonder how many of us, and I've seen a lot of people wrestle with this, a lot of people, including my own father, how many of us, at the end of our lives, will look back and see, not failures, but successes, even if they didn't work out? How many of us will look back on our own lives and see, not failures, but successes, even if they're not our own successes? You know, St. Paul writes about this very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, about his own success, or really lack of it, frankly. Paul writes, I planted the seed. Apollos watered, ministered, but God gave the growth. Paul says, so neither he who plants, me, or he who waters, Apollos, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See, this is the key. So you can be liberated from all of this worry and concern and anger and frustration about things you didn't get when you realize that life isn't about you at all, but about the God that created you and the God that your, your actions give glory to him. That life is about God working in, on, and through you to bring other people to him. I mean, who cares if somebody else gets the credit? Who cares if somebody else runs the ball across the goal line or makes $3 million a year selling VMware like Brad McCardle, my former colleague, for example? <laughs> get my point. God gets the glory. God does not, you know, Mother Teresa said something really, really profound. I mean, she has a lot of profound things. Um, and she was a woman who wrestled with 
failure on the surface, right? She said, once God does not require us to be successful, God requires us to be faithful. That'll preach. God does not require us to be successful, but he does require us to be faithful. It is God who gives the growth. Let me challenge you to think about this today. How much happier you would be, how much more content and at peace you would be if you could live a life like Moses. I don't mean wandering in the desert and all that. I mean faithful and trusting even in the midst of seeming failure. And really not all that, all that concerned about who gets the trophy, because in the end, it's all God's. Let me challenge you this morning. Put aside your regrets, put aside your what-ifs, put aside your almosts, because success is not your job, it's God's. You know, we as Christians are all cogs, wheels, in a great big machine called the church, or a smaller machine called Trinity Church. And we are not called to be successful by worldly terms. What we are called to be is faithful by God's terms. And each one of us has our own part to play, big or small, visible or behind the scenes, successful from an earthly perspective or not. Let me leave you with this. Think about it like this, for example. Jesus Christ is your creator. He loves you and knows you better than you know yourself. And he has entrusted you with a unique set of gifts and a unique set of circumstances and a unique group of people in your life that nobody else is around. You are unique in so many ways and you, can, you, you and you alone can do the mission that he has called you to. There is no one like you. His plan for you is unique to you. Let me challenge you to put to bed your wins and losses, put to bed your what ifs, put to bed your almosts, and instead focus on the following words. These are the words that I hope we all yearn to hear when we're dead on Mount Nebo someday, when the Lord calls us home. Not, look what I did. I made a touchdown. I won. I was successful. But instead, the words that our Lord uses. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Moses, for his faithfulness, for his brokenness, for his trust. We even thank you for his shortcomings that remind us that we are all in the same boat. Help us to see the almosts and the what-ifs of our lives as blessings that you have prevented us from. And, bring, and remind us that we are called to be faithful, not successful, and that it is your job, Lord, to bring the growth. Our job is to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.